to the ISA podcast. My name is Jason Neville, ISA's Director of Social Media and Publications. In honor of Black History Month, ISA wanted to discuss some important issues around equity and diversity in education. To facilitate that conversation, we couldn't think of anyone better to have on than Dr. Sonia Whitaker. Dr. Whitaker, welcome to the podcast. Can you start out by saying a little bit about yourself and your school district? Oh, thank you so very, very much. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. A little bit uh, about myself for those who don't know, as you've indicated, I am Dr. Sonia Whitaker. Um, I have the distinct honor of serving actually in public education now for almost 30 years. I've served as superintendent of schools in two different districts and now have the distinct honor of serving as deputy superintendent of schools in uh, Dalton West School District. Uh, in addition to that, I like to say when most people are sleeping on the weekends or in the evening, I am fighting the good fight uh, on behalf of all and more specifically uh, brown children and children, black children and children experiencing the impact of poverty, which include white children and the like uh, in my role as the National Education Policy Director for Push for Excellence. Here uh, in Dalton School Districts, we have just over 3,000 students. A greater majority of our student population is African-American. Well over 90% of them qualify for free and reduced lunch. We are a pre-K through eighth grade school district. And uh, very often I say that our, our, too many of our students uh, lack access to resources. However, they are very, very rich in terms of the intellectual potential. You mentioned your uh, your involvement with the uh, the national organization uh, Push Excel. Let's, can you just provide a little bit of an overview and history of that organization and the work that you guys do? Absolutely. So um, for Push Excel, also known as Push for Excellence, was actually founded in 1975 by Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, who serves as our president and CEO. And the reason that Reverend Jackson founded Push Excel, which by the way, is the education arm of the Rainbow Push Coalition, he founded it for the purpose of uniting parents and teachers and community members, as well as politicians around the need to encourage students to stay in school and to push for excellence. The organization recently uh, had a major event on uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that event? I know there was a scholarship breakfast was a big part of it and just some any information around that. Yes, I'd like to share that um, for the last 32 years, Push Excel has um, hosted our annual Dr. MLK breakfast. And the purpose of this breakfast is to raise monies uh, through the form of scholarship for what we refer to as the Jesse Jackson Fellows. And these young adults are students who are interested in attending college who may not otherwise have the financial resources to do so. And so we host this event to raise the monies that we need to continue to fund uh, their academic experience. We also use this opportunity to highlight key programs within our organizations, such as the after school and the summer STEM program that we make students available to uh, amongst uh, several other things. ISA is uh, focusing uh, on the teacher shortage and our upcoming issue of Leadership Matters. Uh, the teacher shortage is going to be uh, more of a topic of conversation 
uh, either at the time uh, of this podcast or maybe shortly after the Illinois Association of Regional uh, Superintendent of Schools will be releasing their their annual survey on the teacher shortage. So since I have you on today, uh, one of the key components of the teacher shortage, shortage is about increasing the pool, the pool of uh, black teachers and educators. Uh, can you just kind of, in your opinion, and look at some of the research about why is it important to have uh, more African-American educators, especially when we talk about in districts where the student body is predominantly African-American? Well, I think that it's important to, to recognize one thing in particular, and that is that not only is there a national teacher shortage, it's important to recognize that the national teacher shortage is actually more prevalent in school districts serving majority minority students. And I think that's a conversation that is not had enough is what is it that we actually mean by the national teacher shortage or the local or the statewide teacher shortage and who is actually impacted. The first step in that process um, of addressing it is to be clear about the root cause of the problem and where the problems um, actually lie. And I, I really felt it necessary to, to pivot and add that perspective because I think it's not being talked about a lot. Um, with regards to why it's important to um, increase the number of black and brown educators in the profession is because it's good for all students. And that's another, I think, big quote, is that having access to teachers of color is not just good for Black students. Now, I'm going to share with your listening audience something that I think is very important. And that is, as a school administrator, I served as a principal in a district where the majority of the students and more specifically majority of the staff and most, if not all, of the administrators outside of me were white. And so during my reign as principal, I will never forget when a, I think it was a third or a fourth grade white female student came up to me. It was the most beautiful, beautiful experience. And she kind of tugged on the back of my suit coat. And she said to me, Dr. Whitaker, I'm so glad you're here. I had no idea where she was going to go with the conversation. I get a little sensitive just thinking about it right now. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She says, well, I've never had a black principal before. She said, I never had a, this is a white female student. She says, I never had a, a black teacher before. And so I asked her because I was just so uh, excited about her willingness to engage in the conversation. I said to her, why, why did you call that to my attention? She said, because if I didn't see you, then I wouldn't even have known that it was possible. I will never forget that conversation. And so this conversation I like to say is um, it's all inclusive. It's not just about black educators and black students. It's about white educators and white school district leaders and white students who need to see a, a workforce that accurately reflects society so that we can all continue to grow. Talk about kind of kind of two different parts of, sort of the teacher shortage. I are you kind of optimistic about some of the efforts at the local level, grow your own programs and attracting uh, more people into the teaching profession? Can you give advice about something that school districts could do at the local level? And then also, okay. if you kind of had a magic wand, like statewide policy thing, if there's sort of like one thing that you would like to see happen that you think could have a pretty big impact uh, uh, on the teacher shortage, especially attracting uh, more black educators. Can I say this? Can I say I love IASA because you give me multiple opportunities to contribute, but oh. you always, but you always challenge me. 
Okay. And I like that, that challenge <laughs> in terms of stretching my thinking. No one has ever asked me that. Um, um, what, what I'm going to suggest is that there are school districts in our state that are really doing a phenomenal job of putting forth efforts to actively recruit, train, and retain teachers of color into their school districts. And if you haven't done it already, um, one of the things that I would recommend is that we identify who those school districts are and give them some sort of a platform to share how they're getting the job done. Um, I would also suggest from a policy perspective, and again, putting my policy hat on, particularly uh, in my role to advise for policy at Push Excel, if I had a magic wand, I would suggest at a policy level at the state board level that there be some form of policy that would suggest that all school districts have to submit a plan of action for how they're going to do just that. I believe that there may be some form of policy that exists in that area. I would, however, like to see it enhanced to include accountability. And I, I like when I say accountability measures, because sometimes that sounds punitive, I would say, and support measures for making sure that school district officials are successful in their efforts. You know, over the past uh, few years, ISA has sponsored uh, the workshop series, What's Race Got to Do With It? Uh, those workshops were led by you uh, and uh, Dr. Donna Leak, uh, former Illinois Superintendent of the Year, currently uh, serves on the Illinois State Board of Education. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why it was important for you and Dr. Leak to sort of lead those discussions, host those workshops? And what were some of kind of the main take takeaways that you hope uh, that participants had? You know, I really thank you so much. I have considered a privilege and an honor to co-present with Dr. Leak uh, on that. I, I referred to the uh, series, What's Race Got to Do With It as My Brainchild. It, it actually came about, that title in particular, came about as a direct result of how educators were feeling after we watched what has proven to be the murder of George Floyd on national television. It was during that time time that educational leaders from across the state of Illinois, across the country, but across the state of Illinois in particular, began to call me. And to be quite honest, I began to get a little overwhelmed. And it wasn't just um, Black administrators that would call me. It would be white male administrators who trusted me, who would call and say, hey, Doc, hey, Sonia, let's talk about this. And they would ask me questions like, how do I how do I address this when students are are back in school? What do I say to my all white staff about how we should feel about this and what we should do in our respective organization to address this topic? And so, uh, in a nutshell, it came about as a direct result of me feeling that there was a need to respond. What I've learned since uh, launching the series is that. People want an opportunity. Educators want a safe place to go and talk about race, about race relations and how it impacts their work. You know, I recognize that everybody um, is not passionate about talking about race and race relations. However, what brings us together is a need to be effective in our work as educators. 
And what we learned during that tragedy, particularly as it relates to our students, some of our students um, were home, right, during COVID. So, so they watched it with their very eyes. And what we learned during that time frame is that regardless of the color of our skin, that we needed as educational leaders to be prepared to address those tough topics. topics. And so we developed the content for the series, which continues to go on to provide them the safe space to grow and to ask questions that they otherwise would not be willing to ask in order to be more effective in their work. Well, yeah, we appreciate uh, you uh, you and Dr. Leek doing that. I know there was a lot of educators, a lot of school board members as well uh, who attended those sessions. Uh, moving on, let's talk a little bit about how uh, your, your own school district, uh, uh, Dalton uh, 148, uh, changed its approach to sort of teaching Black history and also the history of people with different racial uh, and ethnic uh, backgrounds. I appreciate the opportunity to do just that. We have been very intentional here at Dalton Riverdale School District 148, we practice what I call the policy of intentionality as it relates to incorporating more culturally responsive instructional practices in our classrooms. Um, the first step, this is now my fourth year in the district and upon coming to the district, one of the things that I did along with the staff sort of unofficially, which is to has been to conduct an equity audit um, where we really began to go through and look at the materials that we were making and the curriculums that we were making available to the diverse population of students that we serve for the purpose of determining the extent to which our curriculum added value and or reflected the contributions that, that people of color made to society. And in areas where we found that it didn't, we began a process for addressing. And I, the two examples that I'm going to give, I'm thrilled to do so because it can serve as a spotlight at the, at the local, state, and national level for what school districts can do. We, we deemed it necessary to adopt a literacy curriculum, a literacy curriculum that accurately reflected the spirits and lives of students of color as well as their intellectual capabilities. And what we did is we developed a tool an actual rubric that we used to benchmark textbook companies who came to our district, who wanted us to buy their books, who wanted us to recommend to the Board of Education that they adopt a curriculum. I would venture to say that 97% of the school districts in our state alone do not do that. We developed a toolkit that said, that we wanted books, if we were going to recommend to the Board of Education that they adopted this literacy curriculum, that we wanted a greater majority of the books that reflected black and brown children and children experiencing poverty, including white children who were not only experiencing poverty, but achieving at high levels. And so the one things I say to school district leaders and, and school board members to be quite frank is you have buying power. I recommend that you develop a tool. I recommend that you engage in research about what that curriculum should actually entail and use that tool to benchmark what is being set in front of you so that you know that when you push forth a curriculum, that it accomplishes your goal of ensuring equitable access to a quality education, which starts by making students uh, knowledgeable of what the contributions that people that look like them made to society. 
Now, let me tell you what we're doing now, what we're getting ready to do now, which I'm excited about, which will serve as a spotlight for the state, for local school districts and the nation. And that is the development of our social studies curriculum. For our literacy curriculum, we adopted a uh, we adopted an existing one. For our social studies curriculum, we're going to do two things. We will adopt parts of existing social studies curriculum, but recognizing back to what the initial problem was that it may not more it may not accurately depict the contributions that Black Americans in particular have made to society. In that area, we are actually going to write portions of our curriculum. So that not only does it reflect um, history, but we also, now here's another beautiful caveat. We want our school districts to, our, our the students in our school district rather, to love their community. We want them to love the history of Dalton and Riverdale. And, and we believe that when we have students fall in love with the history of not only their people, but the community in which they, they live. And when we reflect that in our social studies curriculum, and we begin to teach them about how people that look like them actually built the community, they will develop the skills, the resilience, the innovation in their thinking to go back and figure out how to, how to rebuild those broken homes, how to take the boards off of the homes. When I drive to work every single day, I see more boarded homes sometimes than I see homes with people living in them. Through the development of our social studies curriculum, we want to build a society of people within our community that can rebuild it. And we have the power to do so. And most importantly, I'll, I'll end this piece with what I heard a, an author say before. He said, we know where the problems lie. We know where the resources are needed. The question is, do we possess the political will to act upon what we know? And we possess the political will to act upon what we know here. We're going to get it done. So Illinois uh, recently adopted new social science learning standards based on some of the work of the Inclusive American History Commission. What is kind of one thing you that you want educators to know about these new standards? Absolutely. Um, it is important to recognize what has actually been done at the, at the state level to push forward the efforts, which I have referred to. And, and yes, the Illinois State Board of Education has done a thorough job in that area. What I'm going to suggest, however, is uh, centered around the term uh, imp implementation fidelity. Uh, what I would like to encourage school district officials to do, along with their school administrators and their teachers, is to ensure that um, that those standards are not only being implemented, but a step before that is to ensure that the curriculums that you select and or put forth for adoption and or enhance actually align with those standards and to make the necessary adjustments via the forms of supplements to your curriculum in areas where it does not. School board elections uh, are going to be right around around the corner in, uh, in Illinois. They're going to be in April. Uh, but more increasingly, uh, if you just look at the national news, it just feels like there's more of a pol polarization uh, with school board politics, accusations that school districts leaders are facing uh, with critical race theory and other things. How concerned are you sort of about that, about uh, polarization of politics and education right now? 
To say that I'm concerned about the polarization of politics and education right now in particular uh, would be um, an understatement. I am actually over-concerned. And the reason that I am over-concerned about it is relevant to the extent to which I believe that there is a deliberate attempt to create mass confusion. And, um, and the mass confusion, more specifically, is centered around the difference between critical race theory and culturally responsive teaching. It is important for all educators to realize that there is actually a very distinct difference between critical race theory and culturally responsive teaching. Critical race theory is actually not being taught in a greater majority of pre-K through 12th grade classrooms in America's public schools. It is being taught in college at the graduate level. And critical race theory is actually very, very different from culturally responsive teaching. It's more of a study um, in, a, in a global sense, I will suggest, to the related to the injustices that African-Americans have experienced as it relates to their interaction with law enforcement, um, which again is a part of that study, which is taking place at the graduate level. Culturally responsive teaching is very different. Culturally responsive teaching, which is what should be happening in America's K-12 educational classrooms, is about the need for teachers and administrators to engage in professional development and other training so that they can ensure that students of all backgrounds, but more specifically, students of color, can connect to the curriculum. In a culturally responsive classroom or school districts, students see themselves as a part of the system. They see themselves as valuable and they see a deliberate attempt on the part of their teachers to connect the curriculum to their spirits, to their lives and their cultures. And I'll suggest that there, there's a book in particular, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. And she does a phenomenal job of describing for us how connecting students' culture to your curricular content helps to spread the neurons around in their brain and positions them intellectually to connect better to the content, thereby aiding teachers and administrators in achieving their goal of ensuring that all students experience academic success throughout their career in our educational school districts. Uh, any tips or advice uh, now that uh, we're, February is almost upon us about for superintendents or uh, school administrators about how to approach uh, Black History Month uh, in their school districts? Yeah, the main advice that I would have is not to wait until Black History Month to approach this topic in your school districts. Um, if you are just now beginning the work, I respect that, I honor that. The best place to start is to get it, get started, get at it, right? So uh, with regards to, to February and Black History Month, use it as an opportunity to engage your, your students, your staff and your community where possible in the process of learning more about the history and the contributions that Black Americans have actually made to society. And I would say that as opposed to using it as a divider, use it as a topic to unify us um, as a nation because as a people, we are, are much better when we when we work together on topics of this nation. Uh, at the, at this na nation, excuse me, of this nature, at the local level in particular. 
So again, use it as an opportunity to learn more, continue to grow, but I'm going to stretch your reading and listening audience by suggest that they use it as an opportunity to continue to figure out how to incorporate what they learn about why it is important to appreciate, celebrate, and learn more about Black history throughout their entire, entire school year. And I just want to leave things in with about uh, Push Excel and what's next and how people can get involved with it. For Push Excel, we are committed in 2023 and beyond to taking our work to the next level. And what we mean by that is we need your support educators. We absolutely cannot do it alone. What we are working to do right now is to take um, some of the content from our critical thinking series. Um, as many of you may be aware, over the last several years, we launched our critical thinking series, which is entitled Shaping America's Education Agenda. And we've made the content of our, our agendas free of charge. We have made them virtual so that educators in the evening can log in and gain a form of professional development about advocacy topics around equity and education. And so we ask that you get involved by not only participating in the critical thinking series and signing up by going to pushexcel.org, but we also are now going to be formally asking school district officials to join forces with us by helping us to provide CPDUs, to provide credits to your teachers for participating in our critical thinking series events, as well as we are launching a professional development series, which we are intending to make available virtually and in person at our headquarters, as well as sites for those of you who are interested around equity work. And we're looking to, to seek support from school district administrators, school district superintendents, uh, in our efforts to ensure that you sign your people up for the professional developments that we are going to make available. To learn more about Push Excel, we ask that you visit us at our website at pushexcel.org. Thank you for joining us on the podcast.